feel like I could have like went to her and be like, I murdered somebody. And she would be like, you know, not in a bad, but she would have been like, don't worry, we will figure this out. <laughs> not like yeah, I'm going to help yeah. you hide the body, but she had such a calm. Let me get the shovel. Yeah. Bingo. Yeah. Hi, this is Jimmy, and you're listening to Stage Door Medium. You're listening to Season 2, Episode 11, For the Good, featuring Broadway's Bonnie Milligan. Okay. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another week of Stage Store Medium. I'm your host, Jimmy. If you're new to the podcast, I started this um, almost a year ago. And um, uh, essentially, when the pandemic began, I wanted to create a podcast where I sat down with some of the incredible Broadway artists that I've read for, where we would discuss the parallels between energy work and artistry. And it's been a really exciting journey. And um, that's that. So one of the questions before I introduce our incredible guest for today that I'm, I'm so excited about um, that came in, and it was a good one, was can you as a medium openly read and pick up on family members, which I thought was super fascinating. So I thought I'd take a minute to explain that. 95% of the time, no. Because I think what would happen is if we were given this ability to read on ourselves or our immediate family members all the time, I think there would be a temptation to be able to try and give them a roadmap or like a blueprint of everything to do, if if that makes sense. Now, that's not to say that sometimes I won't pick up on on my own loved ones and I will share a message because crazy story for you. And then I'll introduce our guest just a week ago. That's how wild I almost put this on my story, but I'm like, guarantee you because it's so long, you're going to see like the count diminish and like no one's going to watch it by the end. But um, so fun story, I was doing a meditation and uh, my great uncle came through. Now I knew him until I was about 12 years old. I thought he was neat and really fun story. He was a park ranger for the state park in Niagara. And he was actually Marilyn Monroe's escort when she filmed Niagara here uh, because they filmed it both on the US side and the Canadian side. So when she was here filming it, he would take her to her trailer. He would pick her up in the morning. So long story short, he had all these cool stories and he came through in a meditation and he said nothing to me, except he showed me his wrist and he tapped at it. And I saw a really nice watch. And then in my gut, I just went, Hmm, I'm supposed to ask my mom about this. So flash forward, I forget about it. A couple of days ago, I'm driving to my mom's house to go swim. And I'm like putting on sun lotion. I'm like, mom, did uncle Dom have this really nice watch? And her eyes start tearing up. So I explain about the watch connection and she starts tearing up even more. And she's like, well, two days ago, she goes, I do my morning prayers. She goes, I asked him to get in touch with you and to talk about the watch. I kid you not. And I'm like, well, I'm being told right now to tell you that he understands that you had nothing to do with it. So now she's like full out crying while I'm just trying to put on sunscreen and go in the pool. And I'm like, what does this mean? So long story short, when she was young, she was at a pool party at his house she brought one of her best friends and this boy that she had a crush on. And it turns out that the boy that she had a crush on stole the watch from the house. And it was of great sentimental value. So she said up until when he passed, he had always kind of been a little chilly to her because they thought she had something to do with it. So it was wild that here I am getting this thing about the watch. And then I asked her to confirm it. And she was like, oh yeah, two days ago, I asked him to get in touch with you and identify the watch story. So 
it was nuts. It was like one of those moments that like re- like reminds me of like the magic um, and just how special it is, you know, um, with getting these messages to share. So yes, not, not very often uh, we get them, but sometimes we do. So anyway, I'm really excited for our guest today. Not every guest that's been on, I've had the privilege of seeing perform live and I have with her and it's, it was just this like show-stopping performance where, oh, I can't wait to talk to her. So um, made their Broadway debut in Head Over Heels as Pamela. And then from there in 2014, they're in the national tour of Kinky Boots, some other productions, the most recent off-Broadway one of Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat with like that crazy star-studded cast, Jasper and Deadland, so many, so many crazy credits and I'm, I'm grateful to be able to speak with them today. So please help me in welcoming the incredible Bonnie Milligan to our show today. Hi, Bonnie. Hello. Hey, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Excited to be here. I'm I'm excited to have you. So thank you. And I got to tell you too, when I posted that that we were chatting today, talk about being loved, like the amount of folks that popped up in my DMs just to mention like some of your, your colleagues and friends, just to say how excited they were that we were getting to connect because they had nothing but the Aww. nicest things to say about you. And it's interesting. Sometimes you'll get the, the reactions in your story, but never people that will go out of their way to be like, oh my gosh, like this human being. And you had so many people come through, um, come through like they're dead um, <laughs> in, my, in my DM. So come see, yeah, I, I got to change. That's it. so nice. So well, I'm glad you're here. So I always like to ask, what would you say is the biggest misconception people have about you that they'd be surprised to find out they're wrong? Um, I, I feel like sometimes um, uh, maybe people don't realize uh, how deep I am. They may think it's just sort of like, because I do a lot of comedy. I do a lot of, um, you know, kind of stuff like that, or sometimes in concerts, I, I'll, I'll do bits and things like that. But um, that I actually kind of think of myself as a deep actress first, like even when I'm doing big comedy, like in Pamela, I always uh, do really a lot of in depth kind of work on it and to try to make that person as whole and as real as possible so that you care about them. Therefore, you know, you want to laugh with them. Um, so I feel like maybe, maybe that, that, that you just, uh, people might just think, oh, she's like a funny Beltress, but there's, I feel like there's a lot more layers there than maybe people realize. I read this great quote by Audrey McDonald, where somebody had asked her that if it seems simple and if it seems really funny in a comedy, it's usually super hard is what they were, what she was talking about. And can I yeah. ask, so I remember we, we got tickets the, the, um, to, to go see Head Over Heels. And I remember just like sitting back like marveling at what you were doing. Like I was watching you hit these like A flats in <laughs> the birdcage one. And then yeah. I, I, all I remember like is that number, your performance was so branded up here. I remember there was something like, were you going to like hurt the bird? And then you're like, okay, maybe not. Yeah. You say something like that. And then I remember like- Yeah, maybe you're right. You, yeah. you fell over like the, the lounge. I mean, it was just, can I ask, what was that experience like doing- that show to be a part of something for the most part, pretty new on, on Broadway. I mean, yeah, it was, uh, my debut and what, what's amazing is I got to be with it from the very beginning. So I got to craft her over the years and there's a lot of ups and downs that come with, a, with that kind of a 
you know, a road to Broadway. Um, and when you're getting different new co-stars and different creative teams and, you know, at one point everything kind of switched over. I was the only person that stayed. And so you also manage your own emotions when it comes to something like that and um, honoring every experience that you have along the way. And, um, you know, I cherish my time with each kind of uh, bullet point with that experience and um, getting to get on the Broadway stage, which is something I've dreamed of for so long with this character that I love so deeply and was such a part of uh, her writing and her creating was uh, amazing. And it, I feel like in a lot of ways, it sort of spoiled me and, um, what I want to be able to put out into the world and be a part of creating and having a voice that says someone that looks like me can be more than, you know, one dimensional things or a bit or like kind of like how I just talked about how sometimes I'm viewed. That's a lot of the characters I get asked to audition for too or sort of um, one dimensional. So uh, it was a dream to be able to create something that was unexpected for a lot of people and really moving for those who had never got to see themselves in a way where she's on stage saying how beautiful she is and all the other things. Your wig was what like gay dreams are made of. The Pamela Come wig. on. I mean, like that used to be a question on the podcast was like, what's your favorite lace front wig you've ever worn? And I feel like the Pamela wig has got to take the cake. Oh, hands down, hands yeah. down. It, she was so beautiful. Well, another question that came through that I, I thought was interesting. They asked if we could both piggyback off of it, but I think I'm going to have you go first for sure. Somebody okay. had asked about authenticity. Jason was his name. I asked about authenticity in your field of work. So he said, how would you define authenticity in your field, achieve it, and then maintain it? So I guess however you want to break that down, but I thought it was a good one. Um, well, I guess there, there could be many ways to think about that, but I think on the one level of what my actual work is, which is like the acting and the singing and bringing characters to life, um, authenticity for me is... Um, making them as real as possible. So figuring out motivations, figuring out past, if like it's not there in the text, what in the text can support imaginary work that I might do about how they feel. I wanna know how they feel about each person that's on stage or on screen with them. And um, to make this character, this person as fully real as possible. I remember like Catherine O'Hara once talked about you know, before she does these like brilliant characters that she's done over the years, it's just like she needs like pages and pages of like, who is this person to you have to know who the character is before you can write for them, before you can improv for them, all these things. And so like that's to me making them as authentic and truthful as possible, not just broad strokes, um, but really taking the time to make it make sense. Um, and then for the kind of like I don't know if you would say it's meta, but like the idea of like within the industry, there can be a lot of inauthenticness that happens. Um, and it's hard because I feel, at least with, with my industry, it can get kind of surface or it can get um, so much. And for me, I just try to be as 
real of a human as possible. And some people kind of can play games or use social media to really filter or to uh, present something to people that they want to. And I just, I would rather, and, and maybe it's a good business idea, but for me, I just sort of strip it down to just, I, I want to be me and, I'll, and I'd show what's in the moment. And when I walk into a room, I can say, Hey, I'm Bonnie and I'm really excited to be here. And just to be a listening human being and not so self-centered. I think things can get self-centered in many fields, but especially mine to be an active collaborator, listener, um, empathetic person, um, which I feel like you need to be, to be a good actor. Um, all of these things are authentic to me. So I just try to bring that foot forward. And those are the kind of people I like to work with because um, then you can make art. Um, so I think I answered that. With Head Over Heels, like I would imagine you're starting to, and I know you had worked consistently leading up to that, but for your Broadway debut to start having people, you know, I would imagine you probably have some big names that were coming backstage to meet you and, and things like that. Yeah. Um, which, which by the way, can you, who were a couple that were, that left you like, oh gosh, like they're in the house tonight. Um, I tried, I I would try to ask me like, I don't really want to know who's here because I don't want to get in my head about it. But like, you know, when it's like opening night, you're going to have fancy people. But like when Whoopi Goldberg came, that was really exciting. When Bernadette Peters came, that like blew my mind. Betty Buckley, Donna Murphy. I mean, these are the goddesses that, you know, uh, I have looked up to and want so desperately to emulate and be like, because these are also brilliant actresses who are musical theater goddesses, but at the heart of them, are brilliant actresses who are so authentic. They can tear your heart apart with drama or they can make you laugh till you cry because you care so much. This this character feels real to you. So they are who I aspire to be like. So for me, those were like the biggest, yeah, Whoopi and Donna and Betty and Bernadette were like probably my biggest ones that were like, whoo. You know? Now, if you got wind that they were in the audience, does that mess with your headspace? Or are you like, oh, let me pull out a couple extra, you know? Well, again, like, <laughs> I'm just I just wanted to be, yeah. a, I just wanted to be a good show. Like I knew I had um, offered Donna Murphy tickets to the show um, and she had taken them and I was really like excited, but also like, oh God, like I, it's yeah. very nerve wracking because I just want to impress her. I, you know, I had met her before where I sang a song at an event, but um, I hadn't like done me on stage, you know? So it's, um, you so desperately want to impress them, but it's just like, just, uh, you have to like, for me, I have to sort of shake myself out of it so that I can be present and do what I do. And to me, I think get out of the trap of trying to be extra impressive, like just do your show. Because sometimes I've done different shows in the past where you're like, oh, somebody's got someone in the audience because they're going, they're adding so much stuff. <laughs> um, but for me, I'm like, no, I want to do the show I created, which I'm very proud of. And um, which is, again, if we want to talk about authentic to the character, I'm not going to add a bunch of riffs um, just because I could, you know what I mean? Yeah. 
I know there, there used to be the long running joke. They would say like, you could tell when a celebrity was in, or you know, somebody important was in the audience at Wicked because all of the Glindas are all of a sudden pulling out the optional E's and F's and like yes. crazy notes that they're like, oh, Spielberg's here tonight. So let me, let me pull out this <laughs> yeah. note out. Which, so, hey, fair. I mean, go uh, for it. Um, yeah, yeah. You I mean, definitely want to be putting your best foot forward. So sure. if I understand if these girls sometimes do options, <laughs> they're like, well, I'll make sure I do option today. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I think with me, I think as, as a medium, authenticity means different things as well, because, whew, I mean, to me, it's kind of like a twofold term, because I feel like authenticity implies, first and foremost, like, is this person like the, the real deal? Do you know what I mean? Or are, they, are yeah. they phony? Are they Googling you beforehand? Are they? So I think, but that part, I never, I, I think sometimes there's some mediums fall into a trap of having to prove legitimacy or authenticity to someone and that's never something that has interested me or I felt like the need to I'm, I'm kind of like I don't have I don't have time you know to, to convince you that what I do is valid if you're if you're here wonderful do you know what I mean and if you're here you already I think you already believe in the concept of mediumship or the practice of it so but I would say for me I think authenticity would you know I I, I think so many full-time, you know, being a teacher, I think so many of those skills that are so crucial to be a good edu educator, you know, being a good listener, putting your own shit, you know, to the side. I I've seen so many mediums sometimes that when they'll encounter a topic or, you know, a soul that has something to say, all of a sudden you'll see the medium take over and start sharing stories about their life. And I'm like, that's very lovely, but I mean, not on someone's time, you know, where, where they're paying for a reading right now, like save that for later or, or put that in your own, you know, your blog, whatever, wherever you want to put that. But for me, I mean, I think that those would be my two definitions would be the legitimacy and then just the authenticity of my, you know, I, I'm proud to say it comes out in my readings. I love when I get a good belly laugh, like if a spirit says something like really dirty and I can relay it, like that's one of my favorite things of like, oh, I get to say this. And, you know, um, yeah. checking in on them during the reading, you know, seeing it's a real pride factor for me to be able to, I guess, I don't, I don't know what the right word is that I'm looking for, but I, I try my hardest to allow that to shine through is, is what I can say. So, and I think maintaining it, it's, I don't think it, I don't think it's hard. I think sometimes like you talked about, there's some names that folks that I read that I was like, terrified before going into the reading and it's interesting they weren't named like there were some names that like weren't names I should say but they were Broadway folks who's who I admired I think just as artists so some of them I went in nervous I went in nervous for yours I will say I, I don't know why I just was like sometimes we'll get this feeling of like oh don't f this one up don't f this one up so I went in there kind of like oh goodness like you know, do a good job with this. And there's other times I go in excited. Most of the time it's excited, but you know, sometimes I, I go in a little nervous. And then in terms of staying authentic, I, I won't say what I do, but I, I have a couple of my own little, you know, grounding things that remind me that everyone's just human and we're all grieving something yeah. to, to stay, yeah. to stay there. Cause that's the sweet spot is when you remember, you know, the fact that everyone that comes to a reading is there because they're seeking comfort, they're seeking closure, they're seeking I think that's where the, where, where the real beauty lies. So yeah, somebody else, oh goodness, they had asked a question for you. So I'm probably going to stay, this one is I've answered before, but their name was Oliver and they had asked about 
with you being like a, a belter, did your range, like, was that voice always there? Did it expand? Uh, they, they wanted to know, like, and if, if not, it, excuse me, if it did expand, if you had any tips for like expanding your own abilities as, a, as an actor, as a, as a singer? Um, well, I started off singing essentially like as soon as I could talk. My um, parents sang together. Um, my, they met when my dad was the new lead singer of the Southern Gospel Group. My mom was the pianist for. Oh, wow. So they would travel around and sing a lot. And as soon as my brother and I could talk, we were like up in front of the church singing. And for my brother, he has a beautiful voice, but he was always like, eh, I don't really care. And for me, I was like, I'll take his first. It's like, I was like, yes, <laughs> I'll let's go. Um, so it's always something that like music was one of my first um, ways of communication. I've always been a very instinctual singer. Um, and, but if you would give me music, really, I didn't belt until college like really belt like i would belt along to the radio like i grew up singing with um listening to mariah carey and celine dion and i would you know mimic that when i sang along but if you would just give me music to sing it, it would be a little bit um more mix and more um head voice kind of more ingenuity kind of stuff Is that because of church i don't know i think it was just i in my mind i'm like oh this is how you sing Mm -hmm. um and really my one training was choir so in choir they're not like let's belt sure. um so then when i got to college i was i went for acting and um i was taking a christian Linklater voice technique class which is about speaking but you learn about your resonators and i hadn't really you know i had like some vocal kind of vocal lessons here and there, like from choir teacher or from somebody else like that when I was a kid, but it wasn't like extensive vocal training. So it was kind of the first time I was really learning about my resonators. And when I was working on some, I thought, oh, wait, that kind of sounds like singing, even though it's, I'm warming up, but it's like shouting. And I'm like, we're kind of like singing. Oh, let me see. And um, I just started playing with it and just started seeing what it felt like to feel where the placement is, but now I'm using song. And I would kind of do it with these like big belty Broadway numbers that I loved and <laughs> um, like sideshow and stuff yes. that I would start um, truly singing like that uh, with that to consciously think, let me start singing like this. Um, because again, it wasn't a musical theater program, it was acting. So what we weren't really focusing on it. I did do choirs when I was in college. There was a gospel choir I was in um, that was like, everything was taught to us traditionally. So it was all aural. So our conductor would sing everybody's line from the sopranos to the bass. And we would just get like a word sheet and you would learn by like hearing it and repeating it back. And um, so then, you know, my voice was expanding in lots of different ways with that choir with, um, I did a concert choir, but I quickly was like, I'm kind of done with this. <laughs> um, so I did gospel choir. And then as I was sort of expanding my own range in college and thinking about resonators is when I really brought in uh, the belting. And so, yeah, I, my voice kind of switched around. I'm, I'm, I'm still like very dear friends 
with um, a woman who had been my high school choir teacher. And she's like, it is amazing how much your voice has like grown and changed, you know, cause she really oh. knew my voice um, as this like sweet little soprano voice that it was like, wait, uh, that we just, you know, you don't really explore in concert choir, which there was no need to. <laughs> sure. So, um, or when you do your high school production of Sound of Music, you know, I'm going to use that voice for Maria as opposed to like belting. Sure. Uh, so, um, so yeah. And it's interesting too, because you're seeing, you know, as, as a high school director, you are seeing a change in the landscape of musical theater. So not, I'm, I'm when I was in high school, so many of the shows were, they actually weren't the Rogers and Hammerstein, but the Lloyd Webber ones were really popular when I was, you know, in high school, like Evita and Joe Seven. Belting wasn't really, you know, some of those shows, it really wasn't written to be done that way. And now, yeah. I mean, now so many of the shows that I've done with the students, you can't get through it. You know, you're really, you shouldn't be singing Mamma Mia in a church voice. And, you know, cause we yeah, hear kids yeah. that came in and auditioned with, with some of these songs and it sounded like it was for like chorale or like for church. And I'm like, nope. And so I, when you did Head Over Heels, can I ask, are you one of those folks that, for example, if you got through that show, would you then have to be like, I can't really talk and I really need to rest this? Or are you somebody that has a pretty good stamina in terms of belting? I do have good stamina. I'm also um, a smart singer about that. So um, I took vocal health at, at the top of my priorities. So I made sure I was singing correctly. And then um, at the end of the show, if I did have people come and they wanted to get a drink, there was a quiet bar across the street that we got a um, discount at that we would go, I wouldn't drink, but they would, and I would have a little bite to eat. And that would be like my post-show meal. And I, but I would go there because it was quiet. Um, and I would never raise my voice above a certain <laughs> decibel. And I'm like, if you can't hear me, I'm sorry, I'm not gonna raise my voice because yeah. I, I just can't like overexert it that much. Um, and just trying to sleep a lot and drink a lot of water. Um, and uh, being smart about the levels that you use when you're speaking, especially after a big show, trying to warm down as you're, you know, getting changed and taking your wig off and all this stuff, and just to try to bring your voice, your larynx back to a more like a different place um, so that you could come in and uh, do it again. I definitely resonate with the rest aspect. Like I did, I'm finding that the more nuance like the, the longer I've been doing readings I'm able to get things that are more nuanced that normally wouldn't I wouldn't have gotten five six years ago and now it's like I'm finding that those little minute things that I'm able to pick up from the reading they leave me more tired like a couple of days yeah. ago I read somebody and I was like it, it was a crazy reference and I guess this is like when you appreciate being when you appreciate being a gay man and you can understand this reference, but I was reading somebody and it was, oh my gosh, it was so cute. She, um, I heard this like thumping during the reading, but she's just like, like nothing's going on. And I'm like, do you have a dog with you right now? And she's like, yeah, I'm really sorry. They're, they're, they're chewing a bone. And it was interesting. They had shown me the golden girls and then they had shown me Rose's sister. Did you watch the show? I feel like so many yeah. Rose's sister who, who goes blind. And I'm like, oh, so I'm like, is this dog going to a home of somebody that is newly blind? And she was like, I believe that's what's going to happen. And it was just such a subtle clue to be shown Rose's sister from the Golden Girls. And then they showed me a hose with all these puncture marks. And I'm like, did your dog recently 
put holes in your, your family's hose and they have to go buy a new one. She was like yesterday. So, I mean, it was interesting. I found that those like really random minute things left me so tired that by the time I got out of two, so that was about an hour and a half worth of work. Like I was done for the, for the day I went home and I napped and, um, but, um, goodness, I'm trying to think I, when we started talking about the reading, so I read you, so you were recommended to me through, through Tim. And so I like the running joke is I feel like Tim, Tim should be like my part-time. I'm like, at what point do I start paying Tim for the commission? <laughs> Truly. When does he get a cut? Yeah. He, he has been so, so lovely. And if you're listening at home, Tim, Tim's incredible. He directed the, the off-Broadway production of, of, I mean, so many incredible, I mean, that's what you guys met doing gigantic, but I yeah. mean, most recently he's getting so much beautiful press for his production of, of friends and so well-deserved. And, um, he kept saying, he goes, well, if, if you, if you want to, if you want to meet, um, you know, I, I have somebody that I'd love for you to meet. Her name's Bonnie, you know, Bonnie Milligan. He goes, I, she's really into this. So can I ask before we, if anything that you want to share about the reading, I can't remember, like you were always receptive to mediums, right? Did you mention it before? Yeah. I mean, I, um, I used to, like we talked about, I loved that um, show, the, the Hollywood medium. Like I've watched yeah. it with my mom a bunch with Tyler Henry. Yes. Um, not necessarily Long Island medium or any of that. That's like kind of the one because it just felt so genuine and like, you know, like real rather than, I don't know, like a reality show. Sure. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I've, I've always felt like open to what's you know beyond and who's with us and to me looking at it as a um a positive light sort of experience and being like oh there's there's people on your side you know um and looking at it as like you know i believe in god and i believe like god gives people gifts and different things and it's like um you know for the good yeah for the good yes because Correct me if I'm wrong. You hadn't been read before, right? This was your first no, time. No, I had never been read before. Yeah. So I guess anything, is there anything that you feel comfortable sharing from our time together? I had some, like one of my, my favorite things was my, my grandma coming through and talking about, um, she was basically showing you a quilt or a blanket and you're like does somebody have a blanket I was like yeah it's on my bed right now like it's right next to me like it's blurry but that's it and I was like yeah it's on my bed and um and then the fact that she immediately was like you need a new bed and I was like I do need a new bed like it just stuff that like even if you would like google forever you're not going to figure that out you know what I mean that it's like I feel like that's her way of really um validating yes you know this is um here and it was like sweet and made me laugh a little bit and it's just like whoa um but this sort of like overwhelming sense of um people on the other side so many people being there for you and actively um hoping for things for career and love and um you know my dad coming through and um lots of things being very emotional but um validating in so many ways of feeling like I can, I can just breathe a little bit more and not get so anxious. Like it, it was just sort of comforting to think, you know, more things are working for you for the good than against you. Yeah. 
your dad had said something so funny at one point because I thought he was talking about like birds. Because I remember I was like something about the cardinal. But it's weird though, in my gut. So if, if you're newer to the podcast, you're listening at home, clear cognizance is just what that means is clear knowing. So in this point, two things were mixed. I was flashed a cardinal. So that would have been my clairvoyance. So I saw this red bird. But the next thing I knew, my gut was like sports. Nonetheless, what does my dumb ass do? I always go in the direction I shouldn't. And I'm like, the cardinal, like the, like the, the bird, you see the bird and you're like, no. And I'm like, okay, I've got to go the other way with it. And like, I've got to start learning for like what, 10 years now I should just trust, like go in the direction that you're, that you know, you should be going in. And I was like, well, do you understand? Like, was he a big sports fan? And you talked about how he was a fan of the Cardinals. And I was like, look at me getting a sports reference for once. Like I was so <laughs> proud of myself for getting that. And I remember, oh my goodness. Cause I remember that was the other thing when I saw the blanket even from it being blurred right now, it looks like those quintessential ones that like, is that like kind of like the one that was on the back of Roseanne Barr's couch? Yeah. Sure yeah. is. And I remember, so when I see something like that, it's yeah. tricky because their hand, yes. And by the way, those things are fetching a shit ton of money online. Like the knitted, really? the, the ponchos I mean, that you can, good. they oh, are good. Yeah. The ponchos, I was doing a production of Matilda and we were trying to find one of those for Mrs. Phelps because um, our, uh, our, our Mrs. Phelps uh, was, was not a person of color and, and, and the understudies that typically go on are Scottish. And so, or they, they have them as, as Scottish women. So I had looked and they had something similar to that in the Broadway production for the understudy. So they wanted like hundreds and hundreds of dollars for this like Roseanne Barr Afghan. I'm like... We will, we will Whoa. find something else that is on a more of a school friendly budget. But anyway, when I saw the, when I saw that, I was like, okay, this is definitely handmade. This isn't something that you could store by. So I thought I went in the direction. I was like, did your, did your grandmother sew? And I remember you're like, no. And, and I almost left it. And I'm like, well, she's talking about this like quilt. And then you're like, oh, it's, it's literally like right here. I'm sitting on it. And yeah. um, I thought it was so beautiful that the message she had about your mattress, because I, I almost ignored this. I almost left it because I was like, that sounds generic to me. Like, unless you can give me a reason why other than back pain, I don't know if I want to share this. And I was like, I remember she had talked about advising you that it was time to throw away the mattress and you had agreed, but I know you had said, if I'm not mistaken, like, wasn't this a gift from her or something like that? Yeah. The mattress. Yeah. So I've had this bed well now for a while, but when I got this bed, she got it for me. And so, and that's like a few couple years ago, I was like, it's probably time for a new bed. And I had a weird emotional attachment to the idea that my grandma had bought me this bed. And I know that's like, again, you can't like rationalize feelings, but it was like the gut of being like, but she got that for you. And that would feel weird to like, throw it away even though it's like it's she got me many things I have things you know what I mean it's not my sure. one thing of hers but I had felt a weird guilt pang of I can't replace the bed that she got me and so the fact that she's like <laughs> she came through to be like honey stop you don't have to do that like get a new bed and you'd be surprised if you're listening at home like this is one of the most common things that I have encountered during readings are is the question of excuse me 
Like, will my loved ones be upset if I can't keep all of their belongings? And I, I'm going to tell you, like, I have never, ever, ever, ever encountered a soul that's been pissed off that we've been able, we've had to throw out some of the belongings or donate them. Sometimes they will bring up, like recently they showed me this ornate China pattern. And I'm like, do you, do you still have your grandmother's China? Um, and, and he had said yes. And he was like, she was insistent that I keep it. And, um, you know, cause she didn't want it going to my sister who, you know, who might've broken them or things like that. But, you know, should, should you at home ever have to part with something of a loved one because you don't have the space, please know, I always say the sentimental, the guilt aspect is, is on us. You know, we worry if you're at home, please don't worry about that from your grandmother. Maybe what was the best piece of advice she ever gave you or something that you still use to this day? I think with her, I just, uh, I don't know that it was ever like a stated piece of advice, but uh, I've always just tried to um, be like her in the way of uh, kindness first. Like she really uh, cared about everybody first and she would um, work so hard to make everybody feel special that she spoke with. And I just always remember the feeling that you got after like an interaction with her. So I feel like that that's a way I've tried to um, live my life is to be kind and to, um, you know, nobody's perfect. We all have days and moments, sure. um, but to be empathetic and to listen and to try to make whoever you're with feel special and seen and heard um, that if you really just focus on that person, it can, you know, even as a kid, you felt so like seen by her as to where some people might be busy, but it was just like, that's something I've always tried to do is like help people feel seen when I'm, if I'm with them, even, you know, like. I guess my grandmother too, she was, sometimes I, you know, there are pieces of advice that are very specific that I try to live by, but it was always a feeling. Like, I feel like I could have like went to her and be like, I murdered somebody. And she would be like, you know, not in a bad, she would have been like, don't worry, we will figure this out. <laughs> not like yeah, I'm going to help you yeah. hide the body, but she had such a calm. Let me get the presence. shovel. Yeah. Bingo. Yeah. She had such a beautiful calming presence to her where I feel like your world could have been falling apart. And she would have said, stop, here's how we fix it. So, yeah. um, and now it's time for some last minute questions. If you were stuck as a ghost in a theater for all of eternity, and you could only watch one musical, over and over, what would you pick? Oh my. Ah! Um, I mean, I feel like I'd want it to be complex and uh, pleasant to listen to. I mean, would it, it would be forever and ever, would it be the same cast or would it be different casts, but Ooh. always the same musical? I'll allow different casts. Like we can say casts change over. That's okay. We can cycle through the casts. <laughs> <sighs> oh my. Um, it's so funny. One of my favorite musicals is so dark. So maybe not that one. Which one <laughs> um, I'm curious. I love Sweeney Todd, but I'm like, I don't know that I would want to watch like a murder every day. I'm a ghost already. That would not be fun. Um, because at first I was like, oh, like a, a Stephen Sondheim, like it would just be like beautiful. You get to, you know, watch it every night. Um, but maybe you want, uh, gosh, but what other one of his would I want over and over for all of eternity? I mean, it might be 
Follies could be fun because it's a bunch of ghosts in there anyway. And then it just feels like Follies you're part a, of it. Follies and maybe a, one like, night I can come in and be the ghost. Do a little, yeah. Follies is a good uh, character that you've played in the past that would benefit most from a medium. Ooh. Um, I did a production. Well, yeah, she would very much benefit from it. I did Tony Kushner's A Bright Room Called Day. And Agnes Egling is the um, the main character, and it, what it it fluctuates between two times. They just recently, I feel like right before the pandemic, they were doing a off Broadway situation where Tony updated it. But originally, it is um, right before the Nazis are like invade Germany, and it's this uh, character actress in her apartment. It's her apartment is the whole set. And she has a group of friends and some are like communists and they're artists and there's all these things and um, they're starting to talk about the possible rise of Nazis happening and um, there's all this supernatural elements and um, it goes back and forth between her story and this um, young woman Z what is her character Zora Zilla I can't remember her name but she is in the apartment and she's in 1980s around Reagan. And so she feels haunted by Agnes and they're all in this space and it's all these different like spirits and energies. And it's just like this weird woman shows up but it's kind of like a vision of her from the past. There's like devil at one point. So it's tons of energy in this space. And the whole show is about being stuck because she's terrified of leaving Germany because she just broke through in movies. And she's like, I can't go to America. I don't speak English. I can't what i'm supposed to start over and her all of her friends peel off and leave they're trying to get out before and she's just sure. stuck and it's this like really dark piece but um yeah many many hundreds of years from now when we're no longer here how would you want people to look back or better yet how would you want a medium to channel bonnie milligan hundreds of years from now coming through um how like how to summon me like, how, would, how would you how would you want folks to remember you and how would you personality wise i always say the medium picks up on like the way we feel about a person we could say knowing this person they i would want someone to feel warm um i hope like i feel like my whole purpose in life is to bring light is to bring um joy when 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 especially when times are hard when you've been through through things like I think laughter is one of the best medicines so I would want someone to feel light and um warmth kindness empathy someone like a, a spirit that feels comfort I'm gonna thank you so much for being my, my incredible guest today and yeah. I will put up your handle so people can um learn more Perfect. about you and support you I will put up my favorite Pamela wig photo that I can yes. find and, um, everyone at home and Bonnie be well and until next time I'll see you soon bye-bye hi everyone I want to thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode I hope you enjoyed it if you'd like to learn more about mediumship please feel free to check out my website www.stagedoormedium.com where you can also sign up for my newsletter or book a reading for yourself. Feel free to check out my Instagram at Stage Door Medium or subscribe to my YouTube channel by the same name, Stage Door Medium. Thanks so much, be well, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.